People have been migrating to the U.S. for decades to obtain the American dream. We've heard of the journey, but what does it mean to become an American, to blend in, to achieve the dream? In this episode, reporter Mary-Kate Marley interviews two immigrant siblings who boarded the same plane from the Ukraine to America, yet ended up on opposite paths. When Olana was 12 and Constantine was 8, their mother took a plane from Ukraine to upstate New York. The plan was simple, build a better life and then go back and get her children. Back in Ukraine, Olana and Constantine are patiently waiting, visualizing what their new life would bring. I honestly believe it at seven years old or eight years old that America was paved with gold. I thought I was given the, the golden ticket, like a Willy Wonka, you know, story where I got the golden ticket to come to the United States. In the winter of 1999, Olana, who was 15 years old, and Constantine, who was 11, come to America. They get off the plane at JFK, and Olana is in awe. The door suddenly opened, and it was nighttime, so I could see New York in the background. It was a really wow factor of me coming to the United States. Just like I'm sure, you know, 100 years before people saw the Statue of Liberty when they were coming on a boat, for me it was the New York City skyline that I could see from where we were positioned in the airport. But for Constantine, his vision of America isn't matching up to reality. They arrive at the new home, and it's far from gold. That house is a shithole. <laughs> it was in Sorgheries, in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't what you expect to be America. After two weeks in America, they're put into the public school system. And that didn't quite meet their expectations either. I think we were like the f first foreign people in Sorgheries School District in decades. They kept saying that they're going to be checking our paperwork and our legality in the United States, which now as a teacher, I know that there was a law passed the year before by Clinton that prevents school districts from limiting children entering the school because of their legal status or their parents' wow. legal status. Also, they were required by law to have somebody who was trained in ESL. They didn't have one, so wow. they sent okay. me and my brother to a special ed room like once a day, but wow. to a teacher that was not equipped in dealing with children who spoke language other than English, especially my brother. My brother didn't have much help, so we made signs for him that said, can I go to the bathroom? Because he couldn't communicate with his teachers. When I was coming into school, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be liked, and that didn't happen because of the language, I think. I couldn't communicate with kids. Kids at that age, 11, 12, 13, they were mocking me. You know, they were... Brutal, yeah, you know, and I think I hid little by little. I just kind of I hid in a shell. The girls in Olana's school were also not so welcoming, but she was capable of communicating and confronting them. Where Olana and Constantine didn't find the school system and their classmates welcoming, they found solace in each other. Hanging out with my sister, that was like my safe place. Like when I was with her, that was good. Like, I always viewed him, you know, not so like a sibling, but I was like his keeper, you know. Even when we were in Ukraine and he was little, we were always tied at the hip. We were always together. We had, like, same friends. <laughs> I always took him everywhere with me. After four years in America, their mother and stepfather get better jobs, a new car, and build a new home in an upscale town. Alana's now in college receiving great grades. Constantine can speak English. He lost his accent, and he's given up soccer to play a more American sport, football. 
He's finally fitting in. On the outside, it appears as though things are falling into place. But internally, Constantine is still struggling. He's 17 and drinks and does cocaine every weekend. His older friends are bringing him to bars, and he throws house parties where he invites everyone. Literally anyone can come. Eventually, he starts selling cocaine. I started selling a lot of blow, and I made this image for myself again for a couple of years. Like, I was that guy. You know, and that kind of, you know, brought people in into my life. You know, I didn't feel alone and I didn't feel that different. That ego was like building up and I wanted to be that bad boy. Meanwhile, Olana graduates school and her life quickly advances. I got a degree in political science. I concentrated on international politics. That's like a classic combo, you know, political science and law school is the next step. And then I met my husband and we started to date and it became very serious, very fast. And I realized that I didn't want to go to law school. So she decides to become a history teacher. And then I got into the master's program in New Pulse and I finished it in two years. And I was able, I was lucky enough to get a job right away. You know, and I loved it. I loved working in Ellenville. However much she loved her job, the school district in Ellenville was poor and many of her students acted out. There is so much time is spent in telling somebody to stop talking, to sit down. And it's frustrating because then there are great kids who want to learn, who are just wonderful, who are stuck with these kids who throw off their classes. And there is a lot of it going on. And then when you call home, parents a lot of the times are not supportive. So Alana's learning how to manage the bad boy image in her classroom and Constantine is learning how to be the bad boy. His addiction has fully taken off. Every day using, you know, some kind of pills, prescription pill like, you know, benzos or or Percocets, and then turn into heroin. That feeling of that you're doing you're you're wrong. You know you're not you shouldn't be doing this. The drugs kind of hush that voice. You know, you're you're good. You're you know, just keep doing what you're doing. And Olana, his big sister and caretaker, was torn with how to take care of him. We were all blinded by the whole addiction because I think we lived in denial for so long. Mm -hmm. And then we, in a way, enabled him. To use more. To use more to use because them. we wanted to protect him and we were giving him money. Like, I knew I was manipulated, but then it was, like, too hard to admit that somebody I loved would do something like that or take money or lie then you think of like him harming himself like i was trying to do everything so he didn't harm himself whether it's me like i would be up you know half a night if he slept over because i would lay there and wonder if he was okay down here i knew it wasn't a good idea for him to be here because of my daughter and because of you know the, the, some of the things he did and like, you know, stealing and running around and running away and not knowing. But I wanted him to to be here because at least he was safe here because if something, I could help him. I could call the ambulance. I can revive him. I can do something. But then part of me felt relieved because he left because then I wasn't responsible for him while he was here. It took over a decade for Constantine to accept that he needed help. He was in and out of rehabs and detoxes. But last year, he finally got sober. My recovery process started in the summer of 2013. I got sober August 12th of 2015. So I'm, you know, almost nine months clean. So this recent time I was in for 90 days, and then I did an outpatient 
halfway house. So after the rehab, after the inpatient, I went to outpatient with community residents because I wanted to relocate. And that's what I'm thankful for, like grateful for. In Ukraine, you don't have those opportunities, you know, for, for people with a uh, with, with sickness mm -hmm. like mine. What would happen if you're a drug addict in Ukraine? You suck it up you and you die. die, yeah. Or you get sober, I don't know. Not being from here and like understanding the way the Ukraine is, America is really total freedom. Yeah, there's politics and there's problems everywhere, but it's this is freedom. And as for Alana... She's dealt with some discrimination as a teacher with an accent, but her life is pretty picturesque. She has a beautiful daughter, a husband who's a successful lawyer, a big house that buds up to the Shawangunk Mountains, and she finally got her brother back. Now that he's well, and I'm so proud of him, my heart like bursts with pride, and I talk about him, and it's like, it feels nice. I consider her like my second mother. You keep me in check, you know, like I, yeah. I don't get like offended by some of the things you say. I think he's much stronger than me for what he's overcome, for what he has seen, for where he has been. I don't know if I would be able to overcome. We sat in Olana's living room and talked about the journey to America, the accomplishments, the setbacks. They go from teasing each other to saying they're proud of one another. One thing stuck out to me. Through everything, they remained really close. They came to America on the same flight, and they've never left each other's side. My father, he said he knew that I would be okay because I had you. Mm -hmm. That he was okay with me coming here because we were together. It's the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> I would be okay that, she's, that, she, that I got her. Yeah, I guess.